Hello and welcome. My name is Tina Ryan and thanks for tuning in to the Property Report podcast by Property Guru. As the world continues to undergo rapid urbanization, the demand for real estate has increased exponentially. While giving more people access to a higher standard of living is a positive development, it goes without saying that as construction increases, so does its carbon footprint. Today, we are going to discuss real estate's environmental impact and how this can be mitigated through a focus on sustainability, as well as the challenges and opportunities in providing affordable housing for everyone who needs it. For more insight on sustainability and affordable housing, please welcome our guest, Stephen Ohm, former board member of the Burj Khalifa, an advocate of sustainable development, and also chair of the Asia Real Estate Summit. Also joining us today is Ila Diaz, founder of Leader of Light Foundation. Hello, gentlemen. Thank you for talking with us today, Stephen and Elok. Before we start on these important topics, please, can you each explain or introduce yourself and tell us why you're experts in your fields? Stephen, you can go ahead and start. Oh, thank you, Tina. Hello, Elok. Um, I was b born in London. I, I'm really focused on value management. I, um, I've worked in Europe and Australia and the Middle East. I was in the Middle East for 10 years. And most recent, uh, most recently, I've been living and working uh, based from Asia. I, I have a, a very strong real estate background. And uh, as uh, Tina, you said, I uh, was on the board for the Burj Khalifa in Dubai. I've been involved in many, many uh, projects that very recently, the Raffles Hotel in Singapore and many others. Uh, the clients um, that I've worked with uh, have been from sovereign wealth funds to the large corporate uh, organisations through to small and medium-sized uh, uh, companies. And what unifies everybody, uh, clients and projects large and small, um, has been really mainly one factor for value management is to increase value by reducing costs it unifies everybody and increasingly it has been the pursuit for sustainability for really achieving uh, sustainable outcomes and uh, it's becoming a very very strong factor in the real estate uh, sector and in all sectors uh, so I'm really looking forward to uh, the discussion today and and of course uh, to uh, the Asia Real Estate Summit uh, in 22. Thank you, Stephen. Hello, Ilak. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Ilak. I am the head uh, of global uh, operations for Litter of Light and also its founder. Um, I have two foundations, actually. One is called My Shelter and, of course, Litter of Light. Uh, they're tied to disaster resilience, uh, really with the oncoming climate change. Uh, My Shelter Foundation has been uh, doing research and competitions uh, to try to create this uh, uh, um, uh, database or uh, architecture uh, that uh, we don't have for climates, uh, you know, countries that are in the forefront of climates. Uh, we've done uh, a disaster resilience schools, a global competition, looking for thousands of architects to design schools in developing countries, especially around the islands where uh, they are being hit by these massive typhoons and most of them go into uh, schools as their you know as the strongest structure for their protection but also uh, urban areas that are sinking because of you know uh, of this kind of uh, building in areas that are flooded so uh, 
rural and urban architecture in the nexus of uh, this kind of climate changes uh, and of course growing population. But of course, uh, litter of light is something that has grown to 32 countries, which uh, started out really as an emergency solar lighting system uh, that can be built by hand with local skills and later on developed into a social enterprise so that they can build this during times uh, where there's no typhoon uh, to fix uh, this energy poverty uh, for lights, mobile charges and street lights. Thank you, Elok. Now let's start with Stephen, if I may. Um, how does the real estate sector, how does it impact on climate change? Well, in terms of climate change um, and, and overall sustainability, the real estate sector is huge. Uh, approximately 40% um, of uh, CO2 emissions uh, are attributed to the real estate sector. So, I mean, that's an enormous percentage. And it, of course, it goes across all sectors and, and, and every stage of, uh, of people's lives, uh, whether they're at work or at home, etc. It's, um, it, it's a huge percentage. It's a huge contributor uh, to uh, the carbon emissions. And then compounding that is that in the next 40 years, it's anticipated that the number of buildings in the whole world will double. In 40 years, and that so that's a you know just a staggering level, staggering increase of new buildings. On top of that, of course, there are all the buildings that will need to be refurbished. Every building will need to be refurbished and/or repurposed, maybe more than once in those 40 years. So the amount of activity and hence the CO2 emissions and many, many other environmental sustainability factors as well as CO2 emissions um, are, are as a result of our industry. So it is absolutely huge. Thank you. Now, Stephen, thank you for that answer. Um, there is clearly an urgent call for action and change. So why are companies and people not stepping up, Ila? I think uh, very much the science that uh, climate change uh, is going to be happening to us, that there must be uh, preparations ahead. That's why, you know, when I started this about 15 years ago, uh, to build this encyclopedia of knowledge for rebuilding these this devastated areas uh, that were hit by typhoons, the, the regulatory only required 100 kilometers per hour for schools, for many of the structures. Uh, but then it was increasing to 200. And of course, we know that 10 years ago, we hit about 320. So the, the massive escalation of wind speeds and the need to change architecture wasn't really planned. Uh, second was the fact that, you know, uh, in cities, uh, air, areas that were not supposed to be built on, designated because of, uh, you know, as, as was explained, the need for buildings, the need for this kind of infrastructure was so needed that they broke the rules. And now, you know, we have uh, areas of the cities that are sinking or uh, during uh, certain times of the year, uh, the first floor is unusable. They basically have to go there by, you know, by boat. So uh, what is the future of these massive cities uh, that were not built for this kind of rapid climate changes? So uh, population and at the same time, you know, uh, uh, this kind of building. So some of the buildings, in fact, had to be retrofitted because uh, water, electricity, uh, been, you know, uh, was 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 cut off uh, for one to two months. So very interesting, uh, very interesting how uh, Asia is on the forefront of these kind of changes, rapid changes in architecture 
uh, but also uh, can leapfrog. Some cities are being built, some brand new cities are being all rebuilt. So massive opportunities to not design the same ways uh, and same mistakes that were made before. Uh, all of this now uh, taking disaster resilience and you know uh, city planning more into consideration, unlike before. Thank you, Elok. Now, globally and particularly in Asia, more and more people are moving to cities to secure work as conditions become more difficult rurally. How do we accommodate increasing urbanization and provide affordable housing for all while keeping our carbon footprint at an acceptable level? You may go ahead, Stephen. Well, the, it, it's absolutely correct, Tina, what you say. Uh, the, the urban migration, uh, you know, life in cities is drawing uh, youth and families and, and, and everybody uh, to, to the cities. And uh, it was, you know, back in 2005 that uh, globally more people were, for the first time, living in cities more than they were living in rural areas. And that is a trend that will not change and it's accelerating. And of course, very much so in the Asia Pacific region. Uh, this, this is a, a very, very strong trend. And, you know, as I mentioned before, this is why the, uh, the number of buildings uh, and the uh, refurbishment and repurposing of buildings and cities, etc., cetera, uh, is so important. Uh, because uh, the urban migration is happening. Uh, in, in response to that, and I like what Elex was, was talking about, like a, a library of resources, etc. It's very much like that. It, it's very much looking at the lessons learned, um, mistakes made, opportunities missed, opportunities that were um, uh, actually achieved, but with technologies, with bringing things together holistically with the lessons learned that those resources can really be brought together to make progress to make change and to do it more and more cost effectively uh, uh, i think one of the big issues uh, one of the big barriers big challenges for sustainability has been the view that to be more sustainable means you have to spend money and so therefore, there's been this really push and pull between the desire to be more sustainable uh, and the concerns about what it will cost. And I think that's been a huge barrier. Um, it's incorrect. Um, and that's why I really liked the um, term of library of resources and, and, and also pulling on experiences. If we look at things holistically and strategically and approach things step by step, and not only look at the environmental sustainability, but all of the pillars, including the financial one, and making sure that we are making decisions step by step that are financially sound decisions to save money or to make investments where the return of investment is in short periods of time, three, four and five years, that type of period, it's very possible and we will make very strong step-by-step -step progress for sustainability. And that's the key, I think. Thank you, Stephen. Go ahead, Elon. Well, uh, the recent two years have shown us really that uh, there is, uh, you know, uh, this need for cities to be both flexible. Uh, for example, uh, during COVID, uh, it was realized and studied that the city only had five days worth of food. So without uh, trucking or without any kind of airplanes coming in, uh, the city really did not have the the means to self-sustain itself. Uh, you could see that uh, everybody living inside the city 
without sustainability. There were massive brownouts. Uh, but the whole thing where people get locked in, uh, I think this has created a collective trauma uh, for, 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 for many. Uh, that being said, uh, cities have to also be a places where people can meet. So the most, you know, that's why smart cities are coming in where people can exchange information, ideas. These are the competitive cities. Uh, cities are not individuals. They have to compete in a wider world where other cities are smarter, more creative, uh, you know, more economically built. And at the same time, sustainability is an important one because it's you're talking about humans, you know, living in this. So uh, I think having such a pressure cooker as COVID has realized that our cities are not built uh, to be able to take this kind of shocks. Uh, unless, you know, now uh, they're building more green spaces. They're creating, uh, you know, uh, this kind of food hubs within the city. They realize more that there's this de desert uh, for nutrition, desert for food. It basically untangled a lot of the mistakes of the cities by uh, during these last years. So I really believe that uh, architects, designers that were very lax uh, with sustainability, uh, with realizing that, you know, that uh, there are in the future, you know, for, uh, future shocks like, you know, uh, this kind of uh, uh, viruses that can hit. Uh, we are now redesigning cities uh, to this, this new reality. Uh, people were, you know, as I said, uh, such a massive number of people uh, is now, you know, we're hitting eight, we just hit actually eight billion people. So, uh if there's going to be doubling of that, uh, you know, it's going to have to have a massive rethink that uh, we have to have open spaces. We have to have food banks. Uh, we have to have, uh, you know, uh, uh, what I would call, you know, within uh, 15 minutes of your house, you'll be able to, you know, uh, get your necessary, uh, you know, requirements. Unlike before that we started clustering it into industrial zone, food zones, shopping zones, uh, all of this has proven to be very difficult uh, for a growing population. So now it's more, you know, it's it's more uh, community-based and uh, bike-based, uh, which lowers traffic, uh, which lowers, uh, as I said, uh, uh, this pedestrian and car congestion. So it's a it's really a rethink into uh, clustering. Um, so that's it. that's uh, that's what I think. The last two years have proven that the, the city design is not a human design. Now, staying in Asia, what do you see as positive steps towards sustainability and affordable housing in the region? And what could we improve on? Go ahead, Stephen. I think the, the, the number one positive aspect that's really happened in recent years has been the awareness by everybody and the acceptance of the need to take action. I think that's really been uh, a very substantial step forward. And uh, it's reflected in, in, in so many ways. For example, the COP27, the Conference of the Parties in uh, Egypt, really shows and demonstrates that all countries, large organisations, everybody is very focused on the issues at hand. Environmental sustainability is a very major issue. It's been fully accepted these days, and that is really, really great. Uh, of course, it's a challenge because even through the COVID pandemic, as Illich was saying, the CO2 levels have just kept increasing. 
Now, we would have thought when people were confined, uh, not uh, traveling as much, certainly not traveling internationally, not even traveling domestically or even within their cities uh, very much, etc. The CO2 levels have kept increasing. And that really shows how much the our activities and CO2 increases are linked. And it's a real challenge. We we don't have to do things a little bit to make the change. We have to really be strategic. And when we talk about step by step, they've got to be good, substantial steps. And if we can do those year by year, we will make the the targets. Every country in Asia and nearly all of the large corporations and many companies in the small to medium size have all got targets uh, for CO2 carbon uh, emission reductions by 2030 and 2050 and by 2050 very much to be carbon neutral by 2050 or 2060 throughout the whole region. Uh, achieving these, having those commitments is one thing. Achieving those targets is something else. And really emphasizing having a strategy, holistic reviews, and step by step uh, annual uh, uh, type approaches to initiatives and to what has been achieved is really important. Ivak. I think uh, one of the discussions really here is the decentralization of utilities. Uh, in a way, uh, local people used to require everything externally, but now uh, we're talking about the 15-minute uh, 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 cluster where uh, you are producing some of your own power and sometimes even selling back to the grid. Uh, you're producing some of your food. I think uh, a lot of this discussion really is uh, when, uh, when COVID struck where there was really not enough food for everybody. Uh, you could see that the government could not provide, uh, you know, these packaged meals to everybody who was, you know, was stuck at home. So I think uh, everybody's thinking about, as I said, a more walkable city, a more, you know, a bikeable city uh, that not everybody uh, could have a car. So everybody's thinking about how individuals could contribute to lowering their carbon footprint. Uh, as well as having their needs uh, really quick. It's not going to be anymore like, you know, you have to drive to a cluster of malls, a cluster of, uh, you know, uh, they're trying to build uh, even food banks, uh, you know, where even government is trying to think how food can be closer to the city. So it's, it's really thinking, uh, whereas we would think about this externality uh, where you know food would come in sometimes even overseas flown in i mean i live in dubai uh, where almost everything is flown over but now they're creating you know uh, their own uh, you know hydroponic farms the largest in the world uh, they're powering it with one of the largest solar uh, you know energy and and so all of this really uh, goes back to the central point which is we are uh, overusing the resources of the earth and this takes such a long time to come back we're using five times uh, you know the the capacity of the earth to replenish itself so it goes to the government and individual and uh, it's it's not sustainable not to design now for designers of these buildings once you make a mistake with the house or the building for the next 50 years you constrain that person to overuse uh, electricity bills cooling bills uh, you know, 
their their expenses. If maybe there's a way to have you know on top of rooftops, uh, they're now planting lots of food so that the people themselves are consuming uh, some of this. So uh, everybody's rethinking uh, this uh, this limitless supply chain that everybody thought was you know indefinite, and now it's it's affecting the next generation. Gentlemen, thank you so much uh, for the informative and important um, conversation on sustainability and affordable housing. Two topics that are very important at Property Guru. I have more questions, so hopefully we can converse more on December 8th. That's uh, the Property Guru Asia Real Estate Summit happening in Bangkok. For more information, visit asiarealestatesummit.com.